Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago, and um, as, as I was preparing for today, I, I was thinking, should, should we jump back into Philippians, or should I have a, a sort of a New Year's message, or ending out the old year message, and look into the new year, and, and as I looked at where we were in Philippians, I, I, this is just a great passage that goes along with that theme of finishing out the the 2021, and, and as we look ahead into 2022, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to pause this week be, between Christmas and New Year's. I tend to pause and reflect on the year that we had and, and everything that happened in, in our lives and, and to reflect on what the Lord has done and, and to be grateful for the, what the Lord has done this past year. Also reflecting on some of the challenges that we may have had and, and then during this week, also, I set my sights on next year and, and begin to think and to plan and to pray and to really look forward to what the Lord has for us as well. And uh, maybe you're like so many uh, Americans that tend to make New Year's resolutions, uh, you know, things that you're going to change or things that you're going to do in the new year that you didn't do last year. And and if you're also like most Americans, by the second week of the new year, you've already abandoned that and given up on that completely uh, because you found it's kind of hard to change yourself. How many of you have found that to be true? Amen. The only real transformation that takes place in our lives is the work of the Lord in and through us. Uh, if we try to change ourselves, it is a pretty fruitless endeavor. Uh, nevertheless, with the Lord and with His help, in fact, we can accomplish much. Amen. There is quite a bit of hope uh, with the Lord, and the Bible even says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so anyway, as, as we look into 2022, this passage that we're in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, I believe is uh, a great passage for us. And so we're going to start today in verse 27. And just because I feel like if I don't, you're all going to fall asleep in the next five minutes, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read our passage this morning. And if anybody didn't stand, it's probably because they already are asleep. Okay. <laughs> Philippians 1, verse 27. It says, Paul writing, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and visit you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, we thank you for your word as we spend time digging in this morning. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, we're here this morning because you have drawn us. You have drawn us here by your spirit. Lord, you've, you've brought us here to meet with you, to hear from you, to spend time in your presence. Lord, to, to not leave the same way that we came in, but, but for you to work in our lives. Lord, that we would be your people that you've called us to be in 2021 and as we move into the new year and that we would bring you glory in our lives and that we would, as this passage teaches us today, that we would live a life worthy of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I did start the, you can be seated. Uh, thank you. I, I did uh, preach uh, on this passage a few weeks ago and uh, I was only able really to get through the first part. And I want to, again, remind you of, of the context of where we are. In verse 21, just a few verses prior, the Apostle Paul had said this statement, really this very profound statement. He said, for me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I want to focus on the first half of that statement again. And as we look at this passage, as we look at 2022, I, I think it should be the goal for all of our lives to say in 2022, we will live for Christ. Amen. That whatever may come our way in the new year, we don't know, but the Lord knows. How many of you are thankful that even though we don't see what is coming, the Lord already sees what is coming? Amen? How many of you went through uh, some sort of challenging times in 2021? Amen. Amen. All of us. I believe all of us. That Not a year goes by that we are not challenged in some way by some events and circumstances. But nevertheless, the Lord, the, the, none of those things are a surprise to him. But, but whether we're going through valleys or we're rocking on the mountaintops, whatever it's time or state or season that we are in, the aim and the hope and the goal for the believer should be to live for Christ. And Paul, when he puts it this way, he, he doesn't say to live for Christ. He, he himself, speaking of himself, says For me to live is Christ. That that it's even going beyond this living for Christ. That the way Paul sees his life and sees himself is that he, he has so abandoned who he is. And so laid who he is at the foot of the cross. That he himself has taken up his cross. And now he says it is Christ who is living through me. And I want you to know, believer, saint, temple of the Holy Spirit, you have the Lord Jesus alive on the inside of you. And all of us have the capacity to think of ourselves in this way and to live this way. So that we would not just live for Christ, but that we would truly see that Christ is living through us. And this filters into every decision that we make, every thought that we think, every word that we speak. You know, we we used to wear these, uh, or there used to be this uh, acronym, WWJD, what would Jesus do? In this situation and in this circumstance that I find myself in, what would Jesus do? I think that's a very profound thought to think. And then to to try our best to do that thing that Jesus would do in in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so then when we come to our passage again today, Paul rephrases this idea and he puts it this way that we as believers should live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Christ. That's the gospel. And he's saying that that our lives and and the way that we live our lives, it's like a scale. And on the other side is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should live our lives in such a way that that our, our lives balance out with the gospel. Not saying that we earn our salvation. Of course, we know that that is impossible. Paul here is not saying that we should live our lives in such a way as to make ourselves worthy to receive the gospel. We all know that we are unworthy recipients of the gospel. But, but now having received forgiveness, having received salvation, having received justification, having received redemption, having received uh, healing, having received reconciliation with God, having been clothed in the righteousness of God, having been added to the family of God, having been filled with the spirit of God, how, how ought we to live? And the idea is probably not like the rest of the world. Amen? The idea is probably not like the sinner we were before we came to Christ. Amen? And so this is why the Bible declares that we are righteous, we are redeemed, and we are even holy. We are saints. We are God's people. And so the encouragement here is to live a life worthy 
of the gospel. Now, within the, the Christian faith, there, there is two traps, if you will. Uh, you, you might think of it as ditches on either side of the road. The one ditch that people sometimes fall into is legalism, which is that we clean ourselves up before we come to God, that, that we somehow contribute to our salvation by our good works. We know that that's not true. We're only saved by the work of Christ. We're only saved by the finished work of the cross. We, we add nothing to our salvation. Anything that we would add to our salvation would actually take away from the work of Christ. So that, that's the one side, legalism. We don't want to go there where we think that by our good behavior that we are somehow earning God's righteousness or earning God's favor in our lives. That's legalism. The other ditch that we don't want to fall into is liberalism. Now, I'm not talking politically today. I'm not using that term as, as you know, conservative and liberal as far as politics go. I'm speaking theologically liberal. And liberalism says, since you're saved by the grace of God, it doesn't matter what you do. You can live any old way that you want. And you just come to God and ask him for forgiveness. And so you just live however, and this, we're all saved by grace, and so however we live, it doesn't really seem to matter. That's liberalism, and, and we don't want to fall into any, either one of those categories because both of them are not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we do not add to our salvation by our good works. We're saved by the finished work of Christ. The Bible also teaches that we don't just live any way that we want. We don't just follow the desires of the flesh and continue in sin once we have been born again. These are two ditches on the side of the road. And in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ says you cannot do anything to save yourself. But now that you have been saved, you ought to live like you have been redeemed. You ought to live like you have the power of God on the inside of you. Why? Because you do have the power of God on the inside of you. You ought to live like you've been set free of sin. Why? Because you truly have been set free from the power of sin. And so if you are, if, if you truly do follow the, the path of the gospel, the legalists will call you a liberal because you aren't trying to earn your salvation and you're not keeping all of their little rules. And if you're truly following the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the liberals will call you a legalist because you say, actually, there's some stuff we got to do if we're going to follow Christ. And so this is what Paul is saying. And, and what's amazing to me is, and, and this here, just once again, even in this little verse, it, it shows us the beauty of the Bible. It shows us the beauty of scripture because that is the consistent message from Genesis to Revelation. This one gospel message that is not legalistic on one side and does not give license and liberal, liberalism to sin on the other. Though the Bible was written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over a period of 1,500 years, though it was composed by people who never met one another, there's one consistent message, one consistent theme and gospel message from Genesis to Revelation. And here we see it show up once again in our passage today. And it's because though there were 40 human authors, this book is not human in origin. God's word truly is God's word. That behind every one of the 40 different human authors was one single divine author. And here we see that Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's not writing his words, but he is writing and delivering for us the word of God. And so this idea of living worthy for the gospel, it needs to be our goal in 2022 and our goal for the rest of our lives. Is, is the way that we are living, is it worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the, are the things that I'm spending my time on, the, as I look at the new year and I begin to plan for 2022 and, and looking even beyond that, are, are the things that I'm planning, are they worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Again, a weighty thought, a sobering thought, a serious thought. And this dispel, dispels with any notion of a, of a sort of casual Christianity. 
of a casual Christianity. I, I saw a, a sweatshirt the other day. And if you own a sweatshirt that says this, there's no condemnation today in Christ Jesus, okay? But I saw this sweatshirt, and I looked at Heather, and I said, what? And the sweatshirt said, and, and again, no condemnation, but I think there are better things that you could say than the sweatshirt. Anyway, the sweatshirt said, in big, huge, bold letters, God is dope. God is dope. I just said, I said to Heather, what is that? What is, God is dope. What does that mean? God is dope. I thought dope was like drugs or marijuana or Mary Jane or whatever it is. I, I thought it was, I, I thought dope was like, you know, I'm a 90s kid. I was told to say no to dope. <laughs> now God is dope. And she said, well, I think it means like God is cool. You know, he's like, he's hip. And I said, I don't even think that's true. God's not cool. God is holy. God is, the Bible says God is a consuming fire. That's the opposite of cool in a lot of different ways. I said, I want to go tell that lady to get a new shirt. And she said, no, I don't think you ought to do that. So I, I just chose to preach to her for the next 20 minutes. God is dope. But it's sort of this casual Christianity. Right? When I was a teenager, there was the t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. It was, a, it, was, it was all the rage, Jesus is my homeboy. People wore down hats, t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Listen, if, if, if all Jesus is is your homeboy, there, there's some more steps to take along the Christian walk, amen? Yes, we, the Bible declares that we are friends of God. He is our, he is, we are friends of God. Jesus says to his disciples, you, you, call, you call me Lord, and yes, that's true, but, but now you are, I am saying that you are my friends and, and that there is a fellowship that we share with God. And, but you, you can become too casual in your relationship with God. You can, you actually can't. Uh, you, you, you begin to think of God on the same level as you if, if you begin to follow that line of thinking uh, in, in isolation. And God is, he is our friend. There, there's no doubt about that. But he, he's a holy friend. And, and it's kind of, it, it, it could be compared in some ways and every analogy that you make about God falls short in some area if you take it to its fullest and logical conclusion, but it could be compared in some ways to electricity, something that we all love, something that we all enjoy, something that makes modern life possible. Without it, we would be going back to the 1500s. I'm not saying and ready to do that. Amen? I don't, I mean, we live in Texas for, I mean, we're running the air conditioner on Christmas full blast, full tilt all day. So I'm not ready to go back to a pre-electrical uh, you know, era. We use it every day. It's, it's wonderful. We're, we become very accustomed to it. But if not treated with the proper respect, it's deadly. It's dangerous. God is our friend, but God is also holy. And we cannot get into this sort of casual mindset when we come to our relationship with God. We, yes, God is our friend, but we ought not treat him like any friend, like just any old friend. We, we ought not treat God like the friend that we talk to once a year, the friend we check into once every 10 years at the, the, you know, the, the high school reunion. No, God's not that kind of friend. God has invited us into fellowship, but if we take our ideas about friendship and apply them to God, if we take this casual approach to God, will lose sight of what we're actually called to do, which, to which is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
worthy. This is why, for example, uh, we have begun, uh, we have started the practice of beginning our church services the way that we begin them. You know, it used to just be that when you would come in here, the worship leader would, would just say, hey, great to see you this morning. Let's stand and worship Jesus, which is fine. I'm not saying that churches that do that are a reproach to the name of Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that this gathering here, the gathering of God's people to meet with a holy God, it's not like every other gathering. Amen? Because God is holy and he's called his people to be holy and he's called us to gather in his name. And when we do gather in his name, whether there's two or three or more gathered in his name, he is here in our midst. Now, it's true that God's presence is with us wherever we go. How many of you are thankful for the abiding presence of God? Amen. Nevertheless, there is, a, there, there is another level of God's presence that Jesus promises that he is there in a particular way that is different from the abiding presence when we come together with the people of God. He says, in a particular way, I am there in your midst when two or three gather in my name. And so this is why we have started to begin our services by, by reading from Scripture and by calling you to worship. Because I know that as you travel the roads of San Antonio and you get through whatever you got to go through to get here on Sunday morning, and whatever you went through in the last week, you might be entering in here with a little bit of a different mindset. I understand that. We're all human. We live in the world. But we begin our services now by calling you to worship God and by reading to you from the scriptures, the, the sort of scriptures that will stir up your affections to worship God, because this is not just like any other gathering. When we come to worship a holy God, it's different from when we go to the Spurs game. It's not like that. It's different from when we go and watch a movie. It's different from a family gathering. It's different from getting together for a meeting for work. Why? Because God is in our midst. The presence of God. And where God is, he makes it holy. He told Moses in front of the burning bush, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Now, what was this some sort of special dirt that Moses had discovered? No, there was nothing special about the dirt. What was special was God's presence was there. Is there anything special about coming together in this building? Is it 8635 Callahan Road that is so unique and special? No. It's that we are coming together with the people of God. And when we do that, God's presence is here. God's presence is here. And we need to be aware of that. Amen. We need to be aware of that. And we need, it changes our mindset. It changes our mentality. We are here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're here to hear his word preached and proclaimed. We're here to, to exalt Christ. We're not here to just hear a few good songs and, and I hope that they sing the song that I like and I hope the music is just right and I, I hope that, no, that's, that's not why we're here. And I know that that's not why you're here on December the 26th. Amen? We're here because God's presence is here when we meet. Okay, so that's my little recap of uh, the message I preached two weeks ago. Paul gives us four ways in this uh, passage to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. And I did speak on this first one uh, two weeks ago. And the first one we see here is he says, I want you to do this whether... I come and see you or I am absent that I may hear that you are standing firm, standing firm. And so last uh, two weeks ago, I talked about standing firm on the word of God, 
That's the first way that we live a life worthy of the gospel is we stand firm. We, we do not let the culture, we do not let the world, we do not let the flesh or sin or the devil take us and, and push us off track. We stand firm on the word of God. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians, that we are not led astray by every wind of doctrine. Whichever, the wind is blow, whichever way the wind is blowing, that's the way that we are going. No, we stand firm on the word of God. What does this book say? That's what matters. This book is the final authority, the first and final authority on all matters of life for the Christian, for the believer. And so we stand firm on that. We do not take our feet off of that solid ground of the Word of God in any area of life and in any area where we do that, what we will find is that we have no foundation whatsoever. Again, this is why our nation is crumbling right now, is because we have tried to live life unmoored, uh, separated from the foundation of the Word of God. This nation was built on the truths of Scripture. This nation was built on, founded on the truths of the Word of God. And we're trying to live in this nation without that foundation. And what we see is that every institution that throws away the foundation of the Word of God is going to fall into chaos and crumble to the ground. Including the church, by the way. Because there are many churches today that also throw this out, that, that also do not stick with what the Word of God says. And they will also likewise fall and crumble to the ground. Because without a solid foundation, there can be no stability. So you either have Christ or you have chaos. You have Christ or you have chaos in every area of, of life. In your family life, in your marriage, at work, in any institution, you either have Christ or you have chaos. You can submit to the Word of God, Christ, and His blessing will flow and His prosperity will flow and, and His life, His eternal life will flow into your family, will flow into your marriage. It will flow into any institution. But the moment you, you remove Christ and His Word, you're going to have chaos. Some of you experienced that yesterday, amen? In families that do not submit to the Word of God. It's chaos. It's utter chaos. But families that do build their lives on the Word of God, it's multi-generational blessing that flows. So you have Christ or you have chaos. As Christians, we must stand firm on the Word of God. The second thing, and we're making progress now, the second thing he says is that you stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the second way that we walk worthy of the gospel, firstly, we stand firm, but secondly, is we walk in unity with one another. He says that you have one spirit and that you have one mind. Another way is to be united in Christ. United in Christ. One spirit, one mind. Now what is the source of our unity? Is it that we agree on everything? I can't even agree with you on where to go eat lunch. Right? We disagree on a, on a vast multitude of things, don't we? Some of you have Jesus is my dope friend t-shirt, okay? So we disagree on that, okay? We, we disagree on a multitude of things. So the source of our unity is not that we agree on everything. I look out at the parking lot and I see a red car, a white car, a silver car, a gray car, new car, old car. I see all kinds. We didn't all go buy the exact same model car. You had a different thought in your mind. It's not that we see things the same way in every single issue, in every single point. That cannot be the source of our unity. In fact, we have great diversity among the body of Christ, which is the way that God designed it. That we would have unity and also diversity. If we're all the same, that's boring. Amen? 
If we're all just exact the same way, dress the same way, think the same way, talk the same way, speak, the, it, it's boring. Life is flavorful. God is creative. There, there's all sorts of different nations and cultures and colors and flavors. Amen. If we were all just vanilla, all just the same, and, and sometimes vanilla is okay, but hey, sometimes salsa is okay too, all right? And can you put, have you ever had spicy ice cream? You should try it. It is amazing. All right. We don't all see eye to eye. I have a friend that every time we go eat Mexican food, he orders nachos. Bean and cheese nachos. And I just sit there and I think, brother, there's more to life. Get some enchiladas, get some fajitas, get some salsa up in there, brother. Get some tacos, get some meat. But that's him, bean and cheese nachos, all right? Hey. So it's not that we all see eye to eye on everything. Nevertheless, we're to have this unity in Christ. Nevertheless, we are to be unified. And so what is the source of our unity? Is it our affiliation and affinity that we all share for all the same kinds of things? Well, we all just enjoy the same kind of music and we all just enjoy this and we all enjoy... No. Christ is the source of our unity. It is Jesus. It is the gospel. What is the source of our unity? It is that all of us once were lost, but now we've been found. It's that all of us once were blind, but now we see. It's that our ears were stopped, but Christ has opened them. It's that we were dead in our sins, but now we are all alive in Christ. That is the source of our unity. It is one spirit we are to have. One spirit. Well, whose spirit? The Holy Spirit. That he is alive on the inside of us. We are to have one mind, he says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Well, whose mind? Well, it's the mind of Christ. And if we are unified, if we share a unity in Christ, you and I, we share a bond that cannot be broken. It is an eternal bond. It is, it is a bond that is stronger than, than any steel, than any titanium. It is, the, it is a stronger bond than molecular fusion that we share with one another. It is an eternal bond from Christ, the Creator God. The ultimate source of all power in the universe has bonded us together as a part of his body. And in that, we share a unity, a bond that cannot be broken, an unbreakable bond. However, if we are united by anything else, we in fact share a bond that will be broken. If, if our source of unity is anything or anyone other than Christ, we share a bond that will be broken. If you're part of Destiny Church because you like the music or you like the preaching or you like the temperature in here, which we can all, never seem to get quite right all the time, but whatever, you, you just, if, if, if you are part of the church for any other reason other than the work of Christ, dear friend, we share a bond that will be broken. We, we share a bond that will eventually be tested and will fail. But if we share a unity in Christ, it truly is a bond that cannot be broken. What the church in America found out in 2022, last year, was that the church was united by a lot of different things that was not Jesus Christ. And when those things were put to the test, the unity was broken. The unity was broken. We share a bond that cannot be broken. And this bond that we share 
it gives us strength. It actually gives us strength. You know, if you take one little stick, you can break it easily. You, you, can, you can break a twig, no problem. But, but if you take five, six, ten of those sticks, those little twigs, and you tie them together, you, you cannot break them. You, you, don't, you will not have the strength. Why? Because they give their strength to one another. And what is it that is supposed to bind us together? It is an eternal bond. It is Jesus Christ. Every other bond will be tested. Every other bond will break. But if we are truly united in our love for Christ, we share an eternal bond that cannot be broken. So let us, like he says, he says, be of one spirit and one mind striving side by side for the gospel. Unfortunately, many who call themselves Christians are not striving side by side, but they're striving face to face. You know, we have a common enemy. It is the devil. We are to be striving side by side in lockstep with one another, not striving face to face against one another. And when we are unified by things that are not Christ, what happens is we end up beginning to fight about those things with one another instead of fighting against the world and the flesh and the devil with one another in unity with one another, striving for the gospel. And, and it's a great trick of the enemy to be united on temporary matters. And then when those temporary situations and circumstances change, opinions change, styles come in and out, and, and those things change, that then there's disunity in the body of Christ because they were not united on the one thing, the gospel. And so what ends up happening is that the kingdom of God doesn't advance because the believers are not fighting to advance the kingdom. He says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Believers are not striving side by side, but rather striving with and against one another. It should not be that way in the church. Amen? It should not be that way in the church. And in the church... The body of Christ, we are called to mutual submission. We are called to lay down our preferences, lay down our, uh, our desires even to one another for the sake of one another. And if we are all doing that, we, we will live in unity. We will live in harmony. We will live in peace if we prefer one another, as Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, which we'll, we will eventually get to in 2029 or at some point. He, he goes on to say that we would not be frightened by anything, by your opponents. This is the third thing that, that we do to live worthy of the gospel. We live with courage, amen? We live with courage, not being frightened, not being afraid of our opponents, well, who are our opponents? Well, it's the enemy. It's, and we do have a real enemy, amen? We do battle in the spirit. The Bible says, though, that we don't battle against flesh and blood. It's not anybody's, anybody, if they have a last name, they're not your enemy, okay? Any, any flesh and blood, any person that you see, they're not your enemy. We have an enemy, the devil, Satan, the enemy of God, the enemy of our soul, and it is him that we should be doing battle with. But he works through people. Nevertheless, he works through people. And so he says that we should not be afraid of those people, those opponents that he is working through. This is why we cannot afford to be fighting with one another because division precedes defeat. One way to guarantee that the, the church will be will walk in defeat in this era is if we are divided. It, it guarantees defeat. But I believe that the true church of Jesus Christ is not divided, but is united on the gospel and on the word of God and that the true church of Jesus Christ will not be defeated, but will be victorious and is conquering in the world today. I do believe that 
And if you believe that, say amen. 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 Living with courage. With courage. Not being afraid of our opponents. Not being afraid of being silenced. Not being afraid of being canceled. Not being afraid of, of being uninvited from whatever social gathering because we're no longer popular and accepted because we preach a message that the world hates. Amen? Absolutely hates the gospel message, those who are dominated by the world's ideology. Because the gospel starts with God is good and you are not. The world starts with there is no God and you are good. Or you are God and you are good. The gospel message exists in opposition to the spirit of our age. So we cannot be afraid of being canceled. We cannot be afraid of being uh, boycotted. We cannot be afraid of being unpopular. No, we must live with courage, not being afraid of our opponents. And what is it that is the source of our courage? What is it that dispels with the fear that we might have? Let me tell you, it is the fear of God that dispenses with the fear of man. It is the fear of God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's what Jesus said, okay? That's what Jesus said. What is it that dispenses with the fear of those who can kill us? We fear God. No matter what anybody can do to you, they can't take your soul. They cannot affect your eternal destination. But God... He's going to determine where you go one day. And so we live in fear of God and we do what God says. We stand on God's word. If the culture goes that way or the culture goes this way, it really doesn't matter because this is all that matters. This is the final authority. Amen. We live with courage. We live with courage. We're not afraid of men because we have the fear of God. And he even goes on to say that this is a sign of your salvation. A clear sign, he says, of your salvation, that you have the fear of God. That you are unified in the gospel and that you have no fear of man. He goes on to say this is a sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And you need to understand that both are from God. Salvation is not found in any other place other than in God. And so ultimately, the destruction that Jesus talks about here, body and soul in hell, that also comes from God. Hell does not come from the devil. Devil is not the king of hell. The devil is thrown into hell along with all who reject Christ. That, that, that's how this goes. The, the devils, it's not how you think where the devil's in hell with a pitchfork, you know, torturing people. No, the devil is not in charge in hell. God is. God is. And so both salvation and destruction are from God. And he goes on to say, and wrapping this up here today, In verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This word granted has the same root word as grace. Salvation, belief in Christ has been bestowed upon you in kindness and in grace. If you believe in Christ today, it's not because you are so smart and so intelligent or you came from noble birth, or you just have a really great education. If you believe in Christ today, it is because God has opened your eyes to the truth of the scripture. Because God has given you, granted you faith, granted you belief. The Holy Spirit has moved upon you, has opened your eyes. This word granted is the same root word as grace. And so belief in Christ is a gift from God. The Bible says that uh, faith is measured as a gift from God to us. And we exercise our faith believing in Christ 
to receive salvation. But not only have we been granted to believe in Christ, we've also been granted to suffer for Christ. And so to do anything for the sake of Christ, he says, is a great privilege, a high honor, not a burden in any way. And so if we must suffer for Christ, we do so willingly. We do so, um, it, it's not a burden. It, it is a great blessing. The apostles, the disciples in Acts chapter 5, when they had taken a beating for Christ, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. A sign of a true believer is we are not afraid at all of suffering for Christ. We, we do not bow to the dictates of people who would try to set themselves up as authorities over God and over Christ. Whatever may come our way, whether we suffer or not, if we do suffer for his sake, we count it all joy as a high honor to be named with Christ. And he suffered for us, and the very least that we could do would be to suffer for him. And I hesitate to even mention these two things in the same breath because our sufferings in no way whatsoever should even ever be compared to the sufferings of Christ for our sake. And so whatever we must suffer in this life for the sake of Christ, it pales in comparison to what he suffered for us on the cross to purchase our lives and to redeem us. And fourthly and finally, in verse 30, he says, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. One of the ways that we live worthy of the gospel is we engage in the conflict. We don't sit on the sidelines. We don't watch the world go to hell and do nothing about it. We don't watch people plunge themselves into sin and darkness and say nothing about it. The Bible says that we are the light of the world and the salt of the world. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, it is good for nothing. I do not want to be a good for nothing Christian. Amen. In 2022, we need to be salty Christians. We need to be Christians that shine the light shine the truth, do it in love, do it in grace, do it with a smile on your face, do it with tears in your eyes as you plead with people to not follow the path of destruction, but shine the light, engage in the conflict. There is a war going on for the souls of mankind. There was a war waging for the souls of your family, for the souls of your friends, and the Bible says that you should get involved in that battle, that you should begin to engage in that war. If you say, I don't know the words to say, I don't know all of this, I don't know all of that, then at least get on your knees before God and cry out to God that he would send someone who can speak to them. He would, send some, he, would, he would orchestrate circumstances in their lives, begin to pray that God would bring them to their knees. Engage in the conflict. Get in the fight. You can have a victory. You can see victory in your family. I believe that. You can see your marriage turn around. You can see your kids come to Christ. You can see a godly legacy. I believe those things. But it won't come by doing nothing. It won't come by, by just staying up with all the news, which never changes. It's just bad all the time. You just, if you want, just turn it off and just get depressed. Just sit there and get depressed. You don't have to watch it. Just skip the 30 minutes you got to say for the watch of them saying all this depressing stuff. Or you could just forget all of it and engage in the conflict. The people change, the name changes, the situation never changes in this broken world. Get involved in the conflict. Get involved for the souls of your family, your friends, your loved ones. Listen, I believe that in every single one of our lives that we know people that nobody is praying for. That if you're not praying for them, nobody's praying for them. 
I believe that all of us know somebody like that in our lives. And God forbid that we would be derelict in our duty. God forbid that we would be sleeping on the job. God forbid that when we are to be standing watch, standing in the gap, that we're like those 10 virgins that fell asleep in the, in the parable and didn't have, they weren't standing ready. They weren't keeping watch. God forbid. 2022, engage in the conflict. Engage in the fight. Begin praying for the souls of the people who need to come to Christ. My grandmother prayed for my uncle Nathan. For 20 years, she prayed for him. For 20 years, she interceded for his soul. For 20 years, she spent every morning on her knees crying out to God, literal tears for her son, Nathan, who had walked away from the Lord. And after 20 years, long years, years riddled with pain and sin and divorce and brokenness, after 20 years, God brought my uncle Nathan to his knees. To his knees. Amen. But then he raised him up. He restored him. He redeemed him. He gave him a missionary, a mission. He sent him to China. He rescued children from, from, from the, the gutter. And Bob Sayer went to China. And Bobby Sayer went to China. And the Goddards went to China. And Javi Avila went to China. And they, they ministered to these kids. Because a faithful woman of God spent 20 years on her knees. Amen. She was engaged in the conflict. She was engaged in the conflict. I want to encourage you, get engaged at whatever level it is. The world wants to distract us with so many ridiculous, stupid, insignificant, non-consequential things. Foolishness. At best, sinful at worst. But God's people are called to a higher way. We're called to live a life worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel in 2022. And we do that by being engaged in the conflict. And again, the conflict is not with other Christians on Facebook. The conflict is with the dark spiritual forces that are trying to destroy people's lives. So don't engage in that conflict with other believers, but do engage in that spiritual conflict, striving together for the gospel. That's what we're gonna do in 2022. Amen? Amen. Amen.